Blackmagic Studios presents the DRS Hot Seat. DRS is now enabled. Mark Murphy, welcome to the first edition of the Hot Seat. How's it going, bud? <laughs> Not too bad. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. So we met up a few weeks ago through the Black Magic um, Discord, really. And, uh, up until then, I didn't know you existed. Then we started chit chat and we have a lot in common that, uh, we didn't, I didn't think we would. Sure. So you, yeah. uh, you mostly like open wheel over, uh, uh, stock car, correct? Yeah. I always have. Um, you know, it, I guess it comes from being an Indiana kid. I grew up probably. Yeah, that'd do it. Yeah. So I grew up uh, not in Indianapolis, not really, um, anywhere in Indiana special about, uh, in a little town about. 10 miles to the east of Evansville called Newburgh. Um, and when you're from, when you're from Indiana, there, there are really, uh, stock cars really didn't exist for us growing up. It was either sprint cars or, um, it was either sprint cars or it was Indy cars. We watched the NASCAR races on TV, but we didn't have cable when I was growing up. So a uh, matter of fact, I didn't have, we didn't have cable TV in our house until I was a, I was a junior in high school. So I know the feeling. So we didn't watch a lot of NASCAR races or we did watch and we had to go somewhere else or, you know, they had to be on network TV, but all the open wheel stuff was always televised. And there's a great little dirt track down there uh, called the Tri-State Speedway, Hobstad, Indiana, uh, quarter mile, uh, quarter mile dirt, high banked and uh, run by a gentleman named Tommy Helfrich, who is known as the Hobstad Hustler. Very good sprint car racer, uh, ran some ARCA races in his heyday. Uh, he runs a huge farm with this racetrack in the middle of it now, and uh, it's known as one of the best. Uh, it's known as one of the best dirt tracks in the in the country. It's up there with uh, it's up there with Eldora and and Williams Grove and uh, places like that. So I grew up going there, and uh, you know. So is that the, a commercial racetrack on his farm? Like meaning he runs races that people come to watch? Oh yeah, so they've really? got two national USAC sprint car races um and then they run an open uh they run an open sprint car race which is a also a usac event that's separate called the hobstadt hustler which i believe this year is going to pay twenty thousand to win so among non-wing sprint cars it's a huge huge deal it plays seats i don't know eight ten thousand maybe well that's a pretty serious track for being someone's property well when you say it's in the middle of his farm i mean his farm is several thousand acres okay so so he's zoned it off and stuff so yeah so that it's kind of funny the track is actually right next to his house believe it or not so uh when you when you drive up to the track the next building over is is their barn and then on the other side of the barn is their house and uh it's it's kind of funny if you go there you know you're you're always struck by just how immaculate the place is um, and how, you know, t- every time there's a break in the action, Tommy's out and he's got, you know, four John Deere tractors and the and the discs and the, I call it a pegboard. I don't know what it is, but Dealey hauls behind a tractor with a concrete block on it and pegs that stick out of the bottom of it. They kind of churn the dirt up. You know, yep. I, I, you go to another track and you're like, and yeah, they maintain it, but nothing like that. And I always have to remind myself, you know, the guy runs a 10,000 acre farm. Most other tracks don't have that. They don't have, you know, eight combines sitting around ready to, ready to work on a dirt track on a Saturday night. Right. But um, it's one of the few places you ever go that doesn't ever get dusty. And then there's always, you know, there was always the annual trek up to up to the Speedway in May, which uh, I've been going to that since I was, you know, eight or nine years old. And uh, it was always a notable Sunday in our house because it was the only Sunday that we were allowed to skip church. <laughs> it, was the only, 
it was the only Sunday that my dad did not go to church was, was, uh, was race day. And, uh, you know, you'd load in the car with, you'd load in the car with grandpa and dad and a bucket of fried chicken and a six pack of Pepsi Colas and, right. and, and drive up to Indianapolis and, and watch the race. And, uh, you know, my grandfather's passed on now, but, um, you know, so now it's me and my dad and my brother that go. Wow. And, uh, it, it's remarkable, you know, how, how much of an impact that, that one event can have on a person. Um, you know, it's not just an iRacing, right? But it's, you know, there's people that, you know, you, you keep the same seat year after year. So mm-hmm. there, we've had the same seat now. This will be my 30th 500, I think. That was my next um, question. Yeah, so it's it's 30. It would be 32 in a row, save for the day I had to graduate high school because my mom wouldn't let me go to the race. I had to, oh I had my to graduate. God. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then COVID, I, I, I elected not to go. Right. Uh, although I was offered a chance to sit up in one of the tree houses outside of three, I, I declined that. But um, no, it, you know, it's it's amazing. So there are people, we've had our current seats for about 10 years now. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hilarious because I'm 41. So when I started... When I sat down in that seat for the first time, I was 31 or 30, and uh, the people that sat next to us were were in college. They were dating, you know. They didn't have any kids, you know. Now they've got kids, and right. I've got kids, and 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 that's always the first hour of of the day is you know eight you know eight nine o'clock after you've done the museum and walk the infield, you sit down and and you catch up with the people that you see once a year. Right. right. Um, yep. Only at that race, and you exchange pictures of your kids, and how's everybody doing? And, <laughs> wow. know, it's, it's, so where are they it's from? Hilarious. Where are they from? They're from Fort Wayne. Okay. So, so they come they come a couple hours south, and and I live in Mishawaka now, uh, which is up next to South Bend. So, um, I just go straight down thirty one until I get to Indianapolis. About a two and a half hour drive now. Um, so you've been to thirty Indy five hundreds for context. I will. Because uh, we didn't really mention which exactly the race is. So the Indianapolis 500, you've been to, you will have done 30 this year. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, every year since 1992, I believe was my first. I uh, I was close to I go to Indianapolis for a race, but that was for the uh, MotoGP race. You know, we did. So I went to every United States Grand Prix car race they had. So all the F1 races. I also went to two of the MotoGPs. Um, that's... If, if you follow MotoGP, you can probably figure out why my number is 69. Um, <laughs> it's not to be it's not to be funny. because uh, you're Hayden, a football guy. Well, no, Nikki Hayden is from Owensboro, Kentucky, which is right, right across the river from where I'm from. And I actually wow. worked in Owensboro after college for about three years. So uh, I got to know Nikki a little bit, and he's he was a good dude. and Fantastic and writer, so, too. Oh, my God. He used to ride. So he used to ride. Here's a funny aside. So he used to ride through Owensboro. Uh, when he was home, he would ride through Owensboro on a factory Ducati race bike. And and so those things, you have to have a laptop and all sorts of crazy stuff to start up. He would he would carry a like a backpack kind of a thing. And he'd have the lap. He'd just park the bike, put the kickstand down. He wouldn't, wouldn't lock it. There was no key, of course. And he came into our store one time and said, Nikki, why don't you lock your bike? And he's like, don't worry about it, man. He's like, the only way you can start it is with a computer in my backpack. That's wild. Um, he would ride around. He would ride around town in flip flops and a t-shirt and a pair of pair of black Ray Bans. <laughs> and uh, you know, you would never, other than the other than the black Ducati, right? That was clearly a race bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would never know that there went the there went the world champion. Uh, he's such a 
such a nice guy. Shame that we lost him way too Real early. He's about, my, he's about my age. Right. So I can remember uh, when I was in college, he, um, we actually had a thing in our fraternity house and watched him win the world championship at Laguna Seca. That was my senior year in college. We had a party for it. I bet. So, uh, you know, kind of, you know, but there's, there's racing all around down there. So one of the guys that I run in uh, the elite leagues, um, name that you might be familiar with stock car circles, Jeff green. Uh, he's from that town. Uh, Daryl Waltrip will claim Franklin, Tennessee, but the Waltrips are from there. Uh, the whole green family. So Jeff and Mark are from there. The Haydens of motorcycle fame are from there. Uh, Jeremy Mayfield's from there, although we don't really claim him that much anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, that whole area is just a hotbed for hotbed for racing of any kind. Right. Cars, bikes, boats. There used to be an unlimited hydroplane race in Evansville, um, which if, you, if you've never seen an unlimited hydroplane boat race, uh, Fletch, it's, it's something else. Imagine a 30-foot boat powered by a Chinook helicopter engine doing 200 mile an hour in front of you. I haven't seen that, but I have seen tunnel halls. Um, the Mod U's and the, uh, what were they, the 75s, SST 75s, which had a 90 horsepower um, engine. Yeah, and, so uh, Evansville's the home port for the last remaining piston power unlimited. They run the V12 Allisons. Right. Um, that boat makes 4,500 to 5,000 horsepower. Jeez. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of those things, kind of like an IndyCar, a full chat or a sprint car, you you. F- you don't so much hear, you don't so much watch that thing go by you as you feel it. Yeah. When it's in full chat. Um, not only that, but if you're German, you go ducking for cover when the, because it's a bombing run. Sounds like the Rolls Royce engine of this, uh, the, was it the Spitfires or the Mustang had the Rolls Royce? Yeah. So um, the Mustang is a Rolls Royce uh, Merlin. Okay. Right. So, um, and there were, there, I mean, there's there's the so boat racing. They use the they use the Allison V12. Um, several of them, when I was a kid, used Merlins, and then the Miss Budweiser, which is probably the most famous of of hydroplanes. They used um, they used a Rolls Royce Griffin, which is like a bigger Merlin. Um, so, but yeah, those those boats were amazing. Uh, for a long time, the the Evansville they called it Thunder on the Ohio. For a long time. It was the second biggest sporting event in Indiana hmm. behind the Indianapolis 500. So it would have been like the third largest single day sporting event in the state because you had number one was always the 500, which it still is. But then a, for a long time, Indianapolis 500 pole day was the second largest sporting single day sporting event in the world because up until up until the early 90s. You couldn't get a ticket to the 500, or if you if you did want to go, you had to sit in the infield. Well, you know, tickets just weren't readily available. Of course, that being 30 some odd years ago, they didn't have as many seats. They've put in, golly, 75,000 seats in the last 30 years. And if you go back and look at a picture of the, you know, you go back and look at a, you go go back and look at, uh, you know, pictures of the 89 race with Fittipaldi and Al Jr. Right. You know, there's there's no north there's no north vista. You know, there's a little bitty grandstand there where now that's a huge grandstand that wraps all the way around the north end. 35 years ago, that didn't exist. And there's probably 50,000 right. seats in that thing. So now, 89, was that when Fittipaldi won but wouldn't drink the milk? No. So he drank the milk in 89. He did not drink the milk in 93. I remember and watching yes, that. 
And yes, he still gets booed for that. <laughs> he still gets booed. What is the tradition with the milk? You really want the, you really the, want the story. Wasn't so, it a milk sponsorship? No. It became that, yes. But originally, um, originally, the milk started with Eddie, with Louis Meyer, excuse me, in 1936. So his habit was to drink buttermilk on a hot day. Now, don't ask me why somebody would drink buttermilk on a hot day, but that was his habit, right? So he won the race, and when he got to Victory Lane, he asked for a glass of milk, and they gave it to him, right? Somebody snapped, you know, pictures of this all over the newspapers, because even in the 1930s, you know, 100 years ago, this thing was still, it, it, it wasn't the national phenomenon, but it was it was still the biggest car race in the world even right. then. And uh, so Louis Meyer drinks his milk, and there's pictures of it in the paper, and some dairy executives get a hold of it, and they started sponsoring it. 36 is also significant in 500 lore because it's the first year that they presented the Borg Warner Trophy, and it's the first year that they gave the winner the pace car. Oh, Okay. Right, which is something that's kind of standard now for all big races. You give the winner of the pace car, right? Well, back then, midst of the Depression, they weren't really sure what their money was worth. And so it was suggested to Eddie Rickenbacker, if you're into flying aces, Eddie Rickenbacker, flying ace, founded Eastern Airlines. He also owned the Speedway from the late 20s through the end of World War II. Uh, but somebody suggested to Eddie Rickenbacker that they give the winner the pace car because it was something tangible. Right. It was something that, that had value outside of money. And that tradition has persisted. Hmm. Um, even till, even t- until now. I mean, the, the winner of the race still gets the pace car. Maybe not that pace car, but, but they still get a, a pace car replica. Maybe that's what we should do for uh, any iRacing Indie guy. We'll just send someone a replica, like a little die-cast pace car. <laughs> Here you go. You know, I wouldn't object uh, I wouldn't object to the full-size version. I think it's a C8 Corvette this year, so I wouldn't object to a full-size version. But no, uh, and, then, and then on the milk thing, for a while after World War II, when the Holmans bought it, when Tony Holman bought it, his, uh, his, the man that ran the show was Wilbur Shaw, the three-time winner who had won the last two before World War, or had won two of the last three before World War II took place. Wilbur Shaw did not like the milk thing. And so if you see some of the races from the 40s and 50s, they give the guy a, a silver cup full of water. It's called Water for Wilbur. And then the dairy dairy industry got involved in the 50s and they brought back the milk. And it okay. stayed. But it's like it's like a 10, I want to say it's a $10,000 contingency. I want to say you get 10 grand if you drink the milk. <laughs> wow. And that was the other thing that Fittipaldi made people mad. It wasn't just that he didn't drink the milk and buck the tradition and all that. He wouldn't even drink the milk for the picture. Right. Right. To get the 10 grand. Like he wouldn't even hold it. No, he was too busy holding um, his orange juice. Well, and I get his, I get his point. Fittipaldi right. owned orange groves and that was his business in Brazil. And he, he, he owned orange groves and sugar cane farms and so forth, uh, but it did not did not go over very well in Central Indiana. That's for sure. Hmm. Like I said, he still gets he still gets booed for it. Still does. Yeah, it's like any sports team, though, right? One player upsets a franchise. Doesn't matter how you come back, you get booed, even if you're an old man up in the booth. Well, he didn't. The other thing is, he I mean, his entire time in the states, um, he drove for either Pat Patrick or Roger Penske, who. Um, if you're circling among, among IndyCar owners, they're probably 
they're probably two of either the most loved or loathed. <laughs> Excuse me, right? Pat Patrick and, and Roger Penske have just as many haters of their race teams as they do uh, as they do supporters, and you know, kind of kind of rightfully so. I mean, those two teams dominated open wheel racing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, of of note, and something that I'm actually kind of in going to enjoy seeing this year at the 500 people don't realize team mclaren is actually just as a just as much a historic marquee in indycar as it is in formula one and they've come out with they're going to do all their testing and practicing in commemorative liveries from their early indycar times well that's awesome so um they've got a marlboro look they've got a gatorade look like the, the gatorade mclaren from from johnny rutherford um, and I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to see that I, I you know the the 500 always brings out something like that whether you know whether it's you know some sort of special paint job yeah right something to, something to promote something to look at and 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 so I'm kind of excited to see that. Do you remember Gatorade gum? I unfortunately do. Yeah, it tastes only, so weird. Uh, well, not only that, but Gatorade had what? You remember they they had the whole system for a while where they had the gum and they had the uh, they had the gum and they had the the, the protein bars yep. and the different oh, yeah. Gatorade you were supposed to drink. Holy mackerel! Uh, <laughs> go broke, go broke, you go broke. You know, eating, eating and drinking Gatorade on that stuff. Even uh, an idiocracy, they had it. Uh, what they call it, Brando, Brando, Brando. Brando. It's what it's what plants crave. It now, is see, what that's plants one crave. of my favorite. That's one of my favorite movies, and it's unfortunate that it's that it is meant as a parody, but it turned into a documentary. Yeah, it really is. Hundred percent, it is. Uh, now, nah, Maya Rudolph is hilarious. Maya Rudolph and uh, Luke Wilson, right? Uh, one of the, yeah, one of the Wilsons. Yeah, it's Luke. Yeah, it's not Owen. It's oh, it's yeah, Luke. yeah. I was thinking of the Baldwin's with all the brothers. No, no, yeah, it's Luke Wilson. Yeah, yeah, they're they're hilarious in that movie. Um, we'd be out, you know, we'd be out having a beer or something, and why do what, what are you guys drinking so much beer? It's got electrolytes. <laughs> that is what plants crave. So it's 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 what it's what plants crave. Really? And then they're like, "What? What are you talking about? It's got electrolytes." <laughs> Just give it water. And then we do the <laughs> we do the whole thing with our hands. You know, but it's what plants crave. <laughs> but why do plants crave it? It's got electrolytes. <laughs> like. Oh my god! I can't watch this. I can't watch that scene without just oh I know almost tearing up with laughter because that's that's almost the state of of of. Of public discourse now is the is the scene. It really is that scene where you're asking a serious question and they just keep repeating the same things. And then he's like, "Well, why don't you just put water on? Like what from the toilet?" (laughs) And maybe we should put water. Maybe we should put water on a nuclear reactor down in Florida that's broken, (laughs) leaking. Toilet water on that too. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, everyone listening, if you haven't seen the idiocracy, it's not that easy to say. It came out what, like two thousand five or six, maybe. Yeah. So, Idiocracy. Um, At least you can say. Yeah, it. it's 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 probably about that. It's um probably about that. Mike Judge movie. So, um, if you're familiar with Office Space, um, Beavis and Butthead, that that kind of humor. Um, I think uh, I think Idiocracy, and I have to check it, but I think Idiocracy was his next movie after Office Space. So you're you're pretty big into the i racing. You're always uh, you're always running in some really cool races. Well, I blame my dad. So it's um you know I blame my dad. I, I, it's not every day that you get a chance to 
kind of think about what could have been in life. Right. Um, and so we had go-karts growing up as kids. And, and I mentioned, I think that I'm, you know, anybody that knows me for in five minutes, I'm a terrible road racer. So I stick to the oval stuff. Um, but that's funny because we had go, you know, racing go-karts when I was a little boy, uh, at my grandfather's house and he had a, had a track in his backyard. Wow. A uh, little 16th of a, 16th of a mile uphill downhill really almost kind of like a almost kind of like an egg um and you could you could make it so if you really wanted to you could get a you could you could go around the garden and make it into a road course mm. um you know kind of like uh kind of like top gear at the dunsfield aerodrome style right 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 and you know we only got two carts out there it's it's what it is but that's that's how i grew up so um you know and and i had always thought you know well I, you know, what, what if I had raced, you know, what if I had tried to do it and I racing gives you that platform and I'd wanted to do it for a while, uh, but never, you know, there was always some excuse, right? Well, when the pandemic hit and we all got all that money, um, you know, my dad called me up and he said, look, I'm going to give you some more. I'm going to give you some money, give your brother some money. I want you to do something that you wouldn't have ordinarily done. And so I looked at it and I was like, okay, um, you know, what do I want to do that I wouldn't ordinarily do? Well, I always wanted to build a computer. So I went out and started buying parts, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and got, uh, you know, bought a case, you know, I got a case from a buddy that, that had built his, built a gaming PC. And then, you know, I went and bought a motherboard and, and I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I was just buying stuff as it turned out. I, I probably built, you know, I built this ridiculous machine that when I, I ran it through Nova bench and it, thought it was a server and benchmarked it in the top 70% of servers in the world. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, but then like, so now I have this insane computer and I'm like, well, what am I going to do with it? And, uh, you know, Andy knows this. I mean, I play civilization and the Sims and I, I love video games just in general. Uh, and then again, you know, my dad's like, you need to go iRacing. And so I found a cheap Logitech wheel and I had this desk that is where my rig is now. And it was this giant L-shaped executive desk. And I clipped the wheel to it. And I sat in a, in like one of those roll in like one of those rolling chairs. Yeah. Like an office chair. Yeah. And I had to put yeah. door stops under the chairs so it wouldn't yep. roll away when I pressed down on a pedal. <laughs> and, and so I started doing that. And, um, I think I won like, you know, you get in, you get any rookie street stocks and it's somewhere on my, on my Facebook page. It'll pop up every now and then I won like my second race. Um, there was a, the, the two cars in front of me crashes. It was a, it was rookie street stocks at, at Charlotte and, uh, you know, predictably P2, you know, hook the leader. Right. And I made it high and I got hit. And when I get hit, I did the whole Joey Chitwood thing on two wheels next to the riding down the wall and i don't know how but sometimes somehow i got off the wall and got to set down back on all four wheels grabbed a gear and started going toward the line and peace the guy that was fourth who was some ways back came out of nowhere and just drilled me so i start wrecking again and wind up crossing the finish line wrecking and win the thing and uh it's like well i won my second race and so i start I started doing more and more on a stock car side. You know, I got to ARCA and I ran. I tell people this all the time. If you want to really progress through iRacing the way it's meant to do it, spend an entire full official season in one car and class before you go to the next. Right. You know, you'll get people out there that tell you, oh, you know, just run your four races and ride around in a bag and don't hit anybody and you'll level up. But then you wind up getting into the, into the, you know, the 
the A license cars, the F1 car, the the stock car. I would argue the Indy car should be an A class car. But you get into the high horsepower, fast stuff, and you don't know what you're doing. Right. You know what I mean? There's lessons that you're supposed to learn. I really think safety rating and I rating should be a thing to, like together to get your license. Um. Now I could see I why mean, I racing doesn't do that because that could def- like really discourage people like me whose I rating's awful, but my safety rating's okay. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it was kind of funny. I was in a discussion with somebody the other day, and uh, I was on Facebook or something, and you know, I, I looked at the guy's I rating, and and his I rating was like six hundred, and and I kind of I kind of blinked twice because I lost that in a week once. Mm, God. Uh, um, you know, uh, so like my, right now my oval I rating is fifty three eighty nine, uh, and I had it over six at one point. But um, you know, I would tell people, you know, spend you want to get the most out of the experience, spend a full 12 week season in each car, right? Don't I just level that. up. No, I could see that. Cause then you're really perfecting your craft, right? Each like car, each track is different. Well, and there are things that each, there are things that each, you know, that each car teaches you. So yeah. like the, like, you know, the street stock thing. Okay. You know, anybody can hold that car wide open around Charlotte, the big oval at Charlotte. Right. But then when you get to the Arca car, that car's sole purpose is to teach you how to manage tires. That is the sole purpose of that series. Right. Right. Because there's no cautions. There's no sets. There's, it's all about managing tires. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the truck and that's to teach you about pit stops and tire strategy. And then, so when you get to the Xfinity car, you get to the cup car or you go Indy car racing. Now you've had that foundation laid for you that that you have and and we get people um you know or or the open wheel cars so you know the usf 2000 car is meant to teach you how to how to road race an open wheel car and then the usf 2000 pro car is a little bit quicker and that's meant to prepare you for the indy car if you skip those two steps if you go because you can theoretically go do four races in a street stock, four races in an ARCA car, and then jump in an Indy car. You're gonna get you're gonna get smoked. You know what I mean? Um, you're just not you're just not gonna be ready. Um, and I'm kind of proud that that I, I was ready. So for the first six months, though, you know, I was I mostly stuck to I mostly stuck to trucks and Xfinity cars. Um, I never bought a Cup car actually, and I've never raced one. Because uh, that was right when the next gen changeover was happening. Right, right. So I just never bought it because sometimes it was next gen and sometimes it was uh, the Gen Six car, and you know I didn't want to buy one to have to wait to buy this. So I, I never did. And then I used to race uh, with a guy named Mike Weebold. He's he and I were both about twenty five hundred I rating at the time. I think his last name was Weebold. I'm probably saying it wrong, but Mike was a cool dude. He was a uh, he was a cool dude. He was out of California. And he and I used to, you know, he was just always that guy that, that showed up in whatever split I was in. And he told me one time, we were at Darlington, and, you know, I made the standard remark that, you know, they ought to fill this place up with water and make an efficient pond. So uh, Mike suggested that I go, you know, he, he said, well, you know, I'm not going to come back for the next one. I think I'm going to go run the Indy car. Like, well, I don't know, I an Indy car. I said, oh, you should download it. It's a fun car, right? And my first race, we were at, uh, golly, we were at, New Kentucky, and uh, I think I run like fifth or sixth. And I was like, "Dog, I mean, Dagum, this is this is pretty, you know, it's pretty fun." And uh, 
you know, it was just instantly competitive in the car. And, and, um, I met, you know, I met Trey Shadid and, and Dylan Moskowitz who, you know, those two guys showed me how to use the tools and kind of showed me, you know, where you, you know, what you kind of do to save the tires and, and the different lines and stuff. And the cool thing was, is that I hadn't run enough stock cars to really have to unlearn anything yet. Okay. And so it just, it built and, um, it built and built and built. And then I didn't know it at the time, but, um, there were two YouTube networks, one of which, you know, if you spend more than 30 seconds around Andy, you've seen my cars, but, uh, there was race spot, which televises the televised the Indy open. And then there's race verse, which televised the Indy fixed. Hmm. And so the open is half ovals and half road courses. And I have the engineering sense of a Labrador retriever. So I wasn't ever going to run the open car, but you know, the, the fixed deal, the, the top split on Monday night was on TV. And so that was that then became the goal was to get into the TV race. Right. Well, yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I think that's everyone's goal. But that was, that was the goal was to get into TV race. Right on. And then, you know, it became, okay, get into the interview room. <laughs> and once I got there, um, you know, it was, I was a regular on the broadcast in, in 2022 season two, but I, I didn't really run up front because by then, you know, the, the field, the strength of field is, you know, 4,000 or, about. you know, the price, just the price of poker to get in the race was 30 is 3,300. I mean, that's, you got guys that are, you got guys that are 3,000 I rating that are running in the second split. I mean, it's a stout, stout field. So, um, what's, what's the difference when you get to that level? Like what can someone expect? Um, everybody's good. Yeah. I'm just asking cause you get an official and everybody thinks they're good. <laughs> But um, it spreads out pretty quick. So, believe it or not, there's not there's still people. The the biggest difference is you run against the same people week in and week out, right? And day in and day out. So, like tonight, for example, um, I ran the top split. the The strength of field was thirty five hundred. Uh, I ran the SOF race at Motegi, and I've run at least a hundred races with everybody in that field. So, because we're together all the time in these big races. So like um, Cesar Manzato, who finished second, Matt Pano won. Um, Edson Santos and Tiago Benedetti finished fifth and sixth behind me. Rodrigo Franzoni, Alex Ragon, um, Bruno Romanzini, Oliver Simonu, right? These are all guys that I've raced against so much that you know them and their tendencies to a T. Like I can tell you, I mean, Trey Shadid is, is my teammate, so I know him, obviously. But, um, you know, like Adriano Forporti, I can tell you how that guy is going to race you to a to a T. Because I've raced against him for two years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Every race that I'm in, Adriano Forporti is in. Right? So you just, you know everybody's tendencies really well is probably the thing that, that I would say. Um, and then there's a level of trust that you build with certain guys. So, um there was a there was a race at Kentucky a couple of weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago. I ran with Jesper Orman. He and I ran, you know, that race was seventy five laps. Jesper and I ran fifty five of them, no further than six inches apart. Uh, and you can do that with a guy like Jesper because you can trust him implicitly, right? You know he's not going to run you over, and that's, you know, that's something that when you get into those official races and the 
in the lower splits, not only do you not know the guy, but you don't know what he's going to do next to you. Right. Even, even in my world where I might consider a driver a squirrel, at least I know how he's going to squirrel. Right. Or what might cause that to happen. Right. Like I know, for example, the guys that I was racing around tonight, a couple of them are squirrels, but I know how they're going to squirrel. Mm. Right. They're, they're, they're dirty, but I know how they're dirty and I know how to counter it. Where I feel like in those, in those races where it's, you know, 1500 or 2000 SOF, maybe you don't run against those guys as much. So they might be a squirrel, but you don't know, you don't know where it's going to come from. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Like when you're in the officials, everything seems fine. And then it's, it's like they turn into uh, uh, Mr. Hyde and some of the well, nuts, like their tires, they, they lose their tires. And they don't know how to handle it or something. Or it's just well, the weirdest and, stuff. And that's why I started racing leagues more. Um, one, the TV stuff went away for, for the open wheel car. And, 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 and that's, I'm not going to get into that, but um, you know, the TV stuff went away for us. Um, but then the other piece was, you know, with leagues like velocity online and, you know, with leagues like VOR and, um, and, and elite, you get that same field, right? But now there's an, there, now there's an extra layer, which is there's an off track. There's an admin team. Like if you do somebody dirty, it's not just that, you know, you might crash out too. It's, you know, you're, you're facing a monetary penalty. So there's consequences. There's a consequence. That's <laughs> not, not just the just threat. Like, I might protest you. No, like, um, there's a guy that was in my race tonight who, um, you know, elite is, you know, is the elite group is, you know, that's, that's a professionally run series with a professional production staff and, and whatever. That's a professional series with a professional staff and, and all that. And, um, you know, you gotta pay a, you gotta pay an entry fee, you know, Fletch, it's, it's not free. And, uh, you know, there's one guy that we race against tonight who, because of his past antics, you know, he was, he was told after last season, you know, don't come back. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, that's kind of the penalty. If you're known as one of those squirrels, I can't stop you from running in official races. Like I can't stop you there. And, and, you know, we might have limited capability to do anything about it. We got to go through the protest system and it does work. I mean, NIM does a good job, but you've got to go through the protest system and it takes time when you're in a league environment and there's money on the line, you wreck somebody and it's judged intentional. They throw you out. And the penalty is, you know how much money the official race pays, pays Fletch. Uh, didn't you say it earlier? Yeah, there's there's no money on the line in an official. Okay. Right, but the elite season, you know, just carb day, just 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 carb day, and the five hundred. There's about a thousand dollars on the line for various things. Mm. Right. So wow. there's there's money available, and not just a little bit. Like I think the five hundred pays a hundred, and it might pay a hundred and fifty, two hundred bucks to win it. Each one of those carb day races tomorrow night's thirty bucks to win, and money to finish second and third. Where, you know, the 500 pays all the way down to eighth or tenth, I think, right? So there's there's money involved, and when you get in that arena, same with VOR, where, you know, it wasn't just that we ran second in the in the Michigan 500 on Saturday. I got paid money for that, and you know, that's the thing is when you're in that environment and you're running for money, those squirrels just aren't. They're simply not allowed into the field. Well, yeah, you'll lose all your your other drivers, aka your customers, right? Right. And you'll, your you know, whole league will just go down after that. Yeah. So, and, 
And let's be fair, my definition of a squirrel is probably far different than yours. <laughs> possibly, yeah, quite possibly. Like, you know, there's there's a guy that I'll that I would point out on on that in that race tonight. I'm going to call him a squirrel, and he's got a five thousand I rating. Right. You know what I mean? He's, but he's a squirrel. Um, and and different stuff means different things to me probably than it does to you, Fletch. So, and I'm not trying to be insulting or anything, but like, no, it makes sense you know, though. Like. I'll call something dirty that you might think is completely fine because in the context of like, let's say, so I'll give you an example tonight of something that's dirty in an indie car or in an open wheel. All right. So I'm running this guy down for, for what would have been third place and I get to him. And the minute I get to him, he starts varying his line in the corners. Well, if you notice in real life, open wheel racing, you don't do that, right? You're, you're never allowed to move under braking. And Motegi, in an, an open-wheel car, you have to brake for turns three and four. Like It's not a lift. It's a full you brake and you downshift from fifth or sixth to third gear. It's a full deal, right? And so he was moving his line under braking, and I called him out on it. And it wasn't much. It might have been just two or three feet, but it was enough that he was moving the air around trying to crash me behind him. Okay, got you. Right, so... so so if you're in that race, you might think, oh, you know, this guy's just being hard to pass. But for me, if you're moving two feet under brakes because you know that's where I'm going to pass you, that's a block. Right. So if you go try to outbreak them, basically. Right. So, like, guys do a lot of stuff in that series with arrow because those cars are so arrow sensitive, um, you know, and, and, and you got to be careful of, of certain guys because they'll, they'll do crazy things. you got to be careful of certain guys like... I just said, you know, the, one of the big differences is you know tendencies. Mm-hmm. So there are certain drivers who have worse internet connections than others, right? It's it's an online, it's an online platform. So same as Call of Duty or Grand Theft Auto. But the difference here is that you know we're 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 piloting you know these simulated LRIR18s that you know if we're at Michigan we go we will touch 240 miles an hour on a straightaway. So when we do that. And you're, you know, three inches from the guy next to you, you know, you, you have to take into account, does that guy have good ping or bad ping? Oh, yeah. Because if he doesn't have good ping and you go hauling off in that corner and you're three inches apart, one of you is not coming out the other side of it. And it's probably going to be you. So there are guys that, that you deliberately will race differently because, you know, they have poor connections. I do make a point of that now uh, before the race, just to have a peek in the uh, the entries tab and look at who's got a high ping. Well, not that I for remember me, it, but well, but for us it's a little bit different because again, you know, we're running we're running with the same you know, if we've got twenty five cars in a race, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the pool of drivers is thirty five drivers. You've run against them so much that I don't have to look anymore. Like I know that guy's got a bad connection, that guy's got a bad right, connection. Right. That guy's sitting in Slovakia, right? Because that's the other thing about open wheel is it's it's a melting pot of different people. Half of our grid is Brazilian. You're just as likely to be given a tongue lashing in Portuguese as you are in English, as you are in Spanish, <laughs> which is fine. Um, it, it adds to it. Some of some of my best friends in the sim are Brazilian, right? Because because that's the that's who you race against. Mm-hmm. Um, Adriano Pinheiro, tremendous tremendous racer. He he lives in Rio de Janeiro. Okay. You know what I mean? And but you know intrinsically who has. You know, after so long, who has the good internet, the bad internet, right? Who's who's subject to lagging out? Um, 
you know a lot of the a lot of the Eastern European guys um, when they run in the when they run in the top splits are prone to be laggy. Um, we had uh, we had a guy from Ukraine that was racing with us. Um, sometimes his internet was really good, but you knew um, you knew to kind of give Alexei a wide berth because he lives in Kiev and his internet might be okay today and it might not be. You know what I mean? And he doesn't know if it's going to be okay or not. Right. And if he does have the good internet, it's probably Starlink. And if it's Starlink, they've got crazy. I mean, the speed is okay, but the ping is terrible. So yeah. You've, that is my you've one drawback to, for Starlink. You've got to you've got to really kind of think about. There's there's more calculus to it when you have that melting pot of people too. It's not just the languages. It's different driving cultures. So the guys from Brazil are very hyper aggressive, and they block like crazy where the Americans are generally more smooth and worried about worried about the end than the beginning. Like I'm I'm fond to say there's a couple of guys that, that run that thing full time. They'll they'll block you under caution. You know what I mean? Like they'll swerve to block you under caution. Where um, you know, I run a lot more strategically. A lot of the Americans are a lot more strategic, more about saving the tires, saving the car, pit strategy, getting to the end. Um, a lot of the Europeans, especially like Pablo Diaz Francis, um, you know, they're just lightning quick. They, they're not as good at managing the race itself. So like for Pablo, who Pablo is the guy I beat for my first open wheel championship in the sim, Pablo so much faster than me doesn't necessarily manage races. Well, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Cause that's Where, one thing I've learned with black, black, uh, black magic, uh, racing is because uh, yeah. they're always talking about the managing their pit strategies and that, and just by virtue uh, of just being around them, I, I start to get like really get the hang of it. Unless you're me and Adam at the 24 Hours of Daytona, where uh, Donald wrecked the car, and then Adam and I just got, Andy wanted to retire the car, uh, and Adam and I were like, "Heck with you!" and started just got in. We're like, "We're going to run this thing until we either kill it or we finish." And they sent me off to bed. I woke up at like two in the morning, jumped in the car, and we're third. And I'm like, "What in the world?" Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you can gain just as much like, so last night, great example, the, the elite race, uh, truck race at Chicago, Hunter Lapper. And I talked to Andy cause I don't have that much experience in the trucks anymore. You know, my, my stock car stuff is all two years old. And so I'm just not as good at it. Right. Cause I don't do it as much. And so Andy, you know, I called Andy up. I'm like, Hey, you know, how does this thing race? And he's like, well, you know, the tires are going to do this. You're probably only got. You know, you're going to be right on the edge on fuel. You're going to, you know, tire fall off is this. It's going to, you know, you'll want to run these lines. And so I figured out pretty early in the race that a two-stop could work. You know, if you split the race in thirds, a two-stop could work. And uh, we came from 26th to 6th, you know, just with, just by thinking your way through it. Exactly. And that's exactly what I've been experiencing with these guys, which is uh, fantastic. And uh, no, Andy has a, a really good um, a head for it. He has a really good head for the race strategy. Like he kind of knows he has plan A, B and maybe C in his head already. Well, and that's and, and that's something that I've benefited from tremendously because, you know, on, on my pit box, probably Thursday night for the for the Elite 500, it's going to be Andy and Trace. She did, and you don't know Trace, uh, but I race with him every Monday night. Um, you know, he's he's been with me for you know a year and a half almost. Um, but Trace and I, 
you know, Trace will he'll be there and he'll he'll come in and out, but Andy will be there the whole time. The entire time it's not in a five hundred mile race, you're not just thinking about the here and now. What do I do what do I do here if this happens? What's the plan if that happens? What's right. the plan if a caution falls here? And, and and let's be fair, Andy's Andy's amazing at that. He made a great call at Pocono. Um, you know, we got started twenty seventh in a forty five car open wheel field, which good lord, you imagine that, you know, mm. and 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 so um you know, we get to we get to mid race and there's a chance to split the strategy and and I would have just probably, if it was me, just probably would have pitted the car. And Andy's like, no, you need to stay out. And uh, that was the difference between, and here's the fuel number you got to hit, and here's where you need to get to, and here's what lap you need to go to, and here's how, how, you know, here's how much fuel you have. And, you know, we, we made that race on one fewer pit stop and finished fifth, instead we probably would have finished 15th. Well, why is that important? Because a fifth at Pocono put us high up in the points, and so we were able to go out and run qualifying in Indianapolis, I got to roll seventh in line instead of 27th because there were 64 entries for that thing. Wow. So I got to, I got to go early when, it, when a track was cool. You know what I mean? I didn't have to go out in the heat of the day. And essentially, I ran one run and put the car in a garage and got to, got to do the TV deal and, and be, around, uh, be around that stuff instead of messing with you know, hey, you know, my car, you know, I got to I got to go make a bonsai run at the gun. I did that the first year I was in that race. Um, and I'm never want to do that again is the stress of Indianapolis um, in the in the 500. Just making the race is more difficult than the race in these things. Does that make sense? It really does. No, it does, because there's so many people trying to get in. Well, there's so many people. And it's not just that there's so many of them. It's it's so many fast guys. Right. So, like when you when you look at it, the margin of error is so narrow. It, it's it's incredibly narrow. Like I look at the guys that didn't make that race, and um, it's it's incredible. So, like um, I gotta find the I, I'm gonna go find the spreadsheet. But um, you know, just the guys that didn't, you know, the guys that of the guys that made it. Okay, the guys that made it. Um, you know, I'm starting 10th. You've got Robert Maletska, who's an open champ. You've got Adriano Pinheiro, who's noted to be one of the fastest guys anytime, anywhere in this car, in that car. And then you got Brandon Trost, who's brutally quick. Jesper Orman's a champion. Josh Chin's a champion. Chad Simpson, very fast. He's out of the satellite stable. That guy's really quick. Craig Forsyth, beat me at the Michigan 500. Eric Troiano, race winner and elite. Chad Frankenfield, an elite champion. You got me, an official champion. Kevin Burrell, race winner on the open side in SOFs. Um, that's the first 11 cars. Rodrigo Frenzoni has the highest pole percentage of anybody that I've ever raced. He's starting 14th. Chris Wilhite, who I raced for two championships and in, in, in fixed, he's starting 15th. I mean, these are fast dudes. Seb Alexander, a regular in that, in that SOF race, he's starting 21st. Um, Richard Del Porto's won multiple championships and open and fixed he barely made the race he's starting 27th mm. these are these are fast fast dudes not making the race justin wadsworth like that boggles my mind he's fifth in the elite um he's fifth in the elite truck series points like he's in, he's gonna he's he's a championship contender right uh brant johnson is a tremendous driver out of australia 
Um, Chris Webb, fast dude. Gavin Hibbs, fast, fast dude. Um, you know, these are guys that, that aren't in the race. And and it's uh, Joe McAdory, you know, great stock car driver. Um, Don Hunter, you know, he's he's fantastically quick. I think he's I think he might have run uh, you know, I think he's in the top so many points. I mean, these guys are fast guys and they're not in the show. And uh it's it boggles my mind. You know, what I mean Alex Ragon didn't qualify. And that's that's a five thousand I rating. He's he's missing the show. That's yeah, that boggles my mind, just all of that. Like so, you know, you go to you go to do indie and you're thinking, man, you know, the, the first order of business, just get in. And then, you know, I, we were talking about it, um, you know, if you listen to the to the radio, because they have radio-style broadcasts. We can't show the race, right? So right. Uh, radio-style broadcast. And I was up, I went up to the booth uh, to do the to do the show for the for the Fast 9. And Chris Wright was egging me on. You know, he's like, hey, you know, him and Robert Hill, hey, you, you know, you need to go back out. You're going to miss the Fast 9. You're going to get bumped out. I'm like, nope, 10th is just fine. 10th is. 10th is just fine because, you know, there were so many guys scrambling like, you know, Craig Forsyth that knocked me out of the fast nine. He took a, he took a time that was in the race, took it off the board and goes back out. Well, okay, that's all well and good. You make a mistake and back that thing, you know, you make a mistake and get that thing in the fence and you're not racing at all. And you can win it from 10th, but you sure as heck can't win it if you're watching it on TV. That's true. So you know, that that's in the cat. Now, if I was like 28th or something, I probably would have put it back in line. But no, it's securely in a show. Forget it. You know what I mean? There's no, the risk reward is way too high. I'll, I'll start 10th. That's the ins it's the inside of the fourth row. So I'm going to have a chance to pick up some spots early just because of the way that traffic works, right? The guys, the guys are going to be trying to get out of that top line. Um, there's always a few, there's always two or three guys that get hung out up there. So we're going to have a chance to move up a couple of spots early. It should be somewhere between seventh and, and 12th, you know, coming to lap two. And then it's just, you know, it's, it's just time to ride. It's time to, time to log laps and figure out the fuel and figure out how that baby's going to handle. And, you know, you can practice it. I mean, we ran, uh, the little Eagle guys ran 2000 something laps. You can practice it all you want, but you don't really know until race day because we don't know what the weather is going to be that's true so we don't know it, you know if it's if it's hot um it's going to be one way and if it's cool it's going to be another way and you don't really know i mean i think we got a decent feel on it but you're not really going to know so the first couple the first couple three stints you know 29 to 31 laps are just going to be you know hey run it you know try to hold your track position you know if you're plus or minus a spot or two it's not that big of a deal get a feel for get a feel for the car, get a feel for how you build runs, get a feel for how you can get a feel for how you can build a run on a guy. And then you know, get a feel for what the settings are going to be, get a feel for, for what your tools are going to be. So if you pull out a line, for example, and try to pass somebody on the bottom and you've got your, you've got your weight jacker and your, your, your roll bars set to run behind somebody. The minute you pull out a line and get all that clean air on the, on the nose of that car, you're going to spin it. So it's not just, how to build the run and how to pull up next to somebody, but how do I, what do I set the car to when I get down there into the corner to not wreck it and not wreck him? Make sense? Absolutely. No, it really does. So you're going so to spend tactical. the first, you're going to spend the first half just figuring that out. Right. You know what I mean? And, and my goal in any 500 mile race is, and I tell, I told Robert Chris this, and I've told Andy this 
if they say my name in that broadcast before 350 miles, I've done something incredibly stupid. <laughs> yes. I do not even want them. I want to be so anonymous that when they look up and they see my name in the first four or five spots, they're going, where the heck did he come from? Right, right. Um, because to me, that's success. Because that means, okay, you know, 350 miles, I want to be with the leaders. At 425 miles, we're looking at our last pit stop. And I want to be with the leader. And, you know, if you put if you put any one of those guys that I just reeled off and mentioned, you put them in the top two or three at Indianapolis with the 500 on the line. And it's, you know, we've got our final we've got our last gas and our final set of tires. Any it's anybody's it's anybody's race at that point. And so, you know, you want to be you want to be in that lead draft with you want to be in that lead draft after the final stop. And that's all that's all you want is a chip and a chair. So you're saying, and we're not going to get into it, uh, the race isn't going to be broadcasted because of, uh, we've talked about it on the regular DRS show. Um, well, it's it's a radio broadcast. Yeah, So, but this but people can still watch it on iRacing though, right? Yeah, so you can still log in if you've got an iRacing account. You can still log right. in and watch. You just can't broadcast it. Broadcast, so, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so when is this race? It is Thursday night. Um, I think we have to be in the lobby at seven thirty. I can't remember yeah. what time the race starts, but um, you know that's and that's and that's the end of a long buildup. So tomorrow night actually is even more fun. So tomorrow night is probably more fun than a five hundred, and that's carb night. So uh, that'll be broadcast live on Elite Racing Network. It is four races: uh, Freedom One Hundred, Freedom Seventy Five, Freedom Fifty and the Carb Night Classic. So we're going to race Formula Renault 3.5s because we don't have an Indy Lights car right. in this end. So we're going to race Formula Renault 3.5s uh, as the stand-in for, uh, stand for um, the Indy Lights car for 100 miles at the big track. And then we go to IRP with USF 2000 Pro and USF 2000 cars for 75 miles and 50 miles respectively, or laps respectively. And then we finish the night at IRP in a pavement sprint car. Hmm. Uh, and there's there's money for all those races. There's a point fund for it. So whoever has the best finish out of all, you know, the best finishing average out of all four races generally gets something. And then there's also a prize fund for the guy that has the best finish between the best finishing average between the 500 and the freedom 100, which last year I won because I sat on a pole and ran fourth in the, in the prelim. And then I think I ran 15th in the 500. I was so dejected by the way, much after the last elite 500, I, I haven't, I literally cannot stop thinking about it. Okay. So you got a, you got a chip on your shoulder, something to prove this week. Well, I pulled, I pulled the, I pulled the, 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 the Trojan in, I got the Trojan ends boner of the week award. So what I ah. did Fletch was at race as 500 mile races almost always do. It came down to fuel economy, right? It, it turned into a fuel race and, um, they always do because that's just the way they are. I mean, you get long stretches of green and there's, there's, there's a fuel strat and you're trying to hit a number and guys are going to try to make it. And some guys are going to try to go. And anyway, so Robert Malechka was like, third or fourth and I was right behind Robert I was two spots ahead of Chris Wilhite and we're all going to come make our final pit stop with 29 laps to go because 29 to go okay I can't hear you now you've cut right out 
Yeah, I can't. I can see you flashing, Mark, but I can't hear you. Mark, can't hear you, bud. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. When I mean, you said 29 to go, it went quiet and I couldn't hear a thing. It's okay. So we got 29 to go and we hit pit road. And, and I've been working on this pit road thing for a month because I'm terrible getting on and off pit road notoriously. And it had cost me, you know, official wins and TV races. And just, I, I worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. And I hit it on the money, man. Like I pulled on the pit road and, and I'm right behind Malechka and I'm running out of gas though. And so Trace is in my ear and he's yelling at me, go to map eight, which is the caution map, just so I can get to my pit box. Well, I'm twisting the fuel mix knob, which actually on my wheel is one of the, one of the roller, one of the fantasy roller switches. Right. And I'm rolling the thing up. And as I did it, my knuckle hit the pit limit button and disengaged the limiter. Oh no. So I sped, I was over the, I, and it, Open wheel cars are not like stock cars where in stock cars, they do the thing where they time you between the hashes. Right. And so if you're one or two miles an hour over, you can slow down yeah. just before the line and you won't get the ticket. Open wheel car, the radar gun is on you the entire time. So if you're one mile an hour over anywhere, period, you get the ticket. And so Robert went out, went back out. I would have exited the pits right behind him and it would have been me, him and, and Chris for the win. Instead, I got the speeding ticket. I had to come back down, serve the drive-through. Oh God! And wound up wound up fifteenth. Um, I was a little grumpy about it. I, I, I hear that. I might have been uh, a victim of that sort of self abuse myself. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, and 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 you got to think about Indianapolis in larger terms because it's not. I mean, yes, it's the biggest race, and we all want to win it. And you know, some of us. You know, the, myself and, and Chad and, and Justin and, and Hunter and, and Josh on the Little Eagle team. I mean, we, we, we live that race and we practice it constantly, right? Whether, you know, it might be a random Wednesday in the middle of, in the middle of February and I'm sitting in here and I'm pounding around laps at Indianapolis um, because that's the one race that matters to us. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I mean, they all matter, but that one is the one, right? So we're all just out there pounding around and pounding around and pounding around. And, you know, I look at it and, um, you know, it wasn't just that, that I ran 15. So it was, you know, it cost me, I think, second place paid $125. So it cost me $125. But then it also cost me, I finished fourth in the points. Well, Indianapolis is double points. So had I finished second in that race, I would have finished second in the points. That was another hundred bucks. Oh God! So that one button press cost me two hundred fifty. Cost me three and a quarter. Right. It's a lot. I mean, it, it's. But you got to think of it in broader terms too. It's not just. It's not just that you want to do well there. But if you do well there, it it's it's a huge launch in the championship. Yeah. Where if you if you if you do poorly at Indianapolis, you're not going to cash probably in the league. That's just insane, though, to think about, like, all that prep work and time and everything, and it came down to your knuckle hitting a button. Right. Like, and, well, but then you got to think, too, okay, what did I learn? Well, yeah. instead of instead of the pit limiter button being on the inside of, being the inside button on the top right row, now it's the outside button. So I can't hit it with my knuckle when I'm adjusting right, the fuel anymore. Right, right. Okay, well, we're almost out of time here, bud. 
it's been fantastic though having you on our very first hot seat and i'm really curious to see how this year's turns out for you so we're probably gonna have to do a part two of this hot seat and talk about this year's uh um indie yeah i mean you can you can definitely ask uh we'll we'll definitely come back and talk about it um and that's not the only thing we got going on so no it's um, not we're gonna have to have you on a few times so it's um yeah we're 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 down to the last uh we're down the last race in the Elite Truck Series um, in the playoffs, outside looking in. Talladega is the last race there. We've always got officials. Um, I haven't been running those as much, but we, we can talk about those. And then I believe Andy and I are going to go ARCA racing again together, which Andy and me and an ARCA, Andy and I and ARCA cars are a sight to behold, Fletch. A this is sight on Sundays? To um, Tuesdays. Tuesdays. Okay. I thought it was Tuesdays. the Sunday thing had. Okay. Well, no, well, that's trucks. I'm trying to get him to run the trucks too. Okay. Because that would also be a sight to behold. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, we'll 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 get together soon. Uh, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about the 500. We'll talk about uh, Andy's lack of skill in an Arca car and <laughs> other such items. I, I do have a I do have a funny thing though. So I told them guys that um, that I would gladly ringer for them in the Interstellar 500. Oh. It, you actually i'll give you my account and you can just log so, in so andy was like well so him and so him and brian were talking about it and uh andy was like i don't think mark mark will do it and Charles was like well you know maybe once practice whatever and he's like no it doesn't pay any money <laughs> like, i'm that uh -oh. much of a mercenary with all the with all the cool stuff that that andy and and brian and colby and, and them guys do for me you think i wouldn't think i wouldn't Give him one like that. It was funny though. Andy did race my original paint scheme that he painted for me in that. Okay. So the 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 Stroker Ace Indy, the Stroker Ace open wheel car, that was the original paint scheme that he painted for me that he ran in that race. So I had to needle him a little bit because he crashed it. Because I've done a lot of stupid stuff in that car, right. but I've never crashed it in Indianapolis. Anyway, it's been fun. Uh, I got to go to bed too. I got to work yeah. in the morning. I hear that. And those little beeps you hear, folks, that's that's Andy, a.k.a. David. Yeah, we heals by two names, if you haven't figured that out yet. Um, he's messaging me now. So, all right, let's get together and next week or the week after, and uh, we'll talk about this again. Thank you so much, bud. Yeah, you know where to find me, Fletch. All right, bud, talk to you soon.